Today, we're discussing the tax issues surrounding cryptocurrencies and digital assets. My guest is Mark Phyllis from Cryptocate, an innovative cryptocurrency tax consultancy firm. In this episode, we explore the tax implications of capital gains, staking, yield farming, mining, and much more. If you are a crypto investor or looking to gain exposure to this space, I'm sure you will learn something from today's episode. Just a quick disclaimer, the topics we discussed today are for educational purposes only. Be sure to check with your tax accountant to ensure that you are doing the right thing when it comes to your taxes. If you'd like to get personal advice regarding your crypto tax situation, Mark and his team at Cryptocate are giving a 10% discount to my listeners. You'll find his contact details in the show notes. Hey, I'm Andrew, and this is the Medical Money Podcast, where we talk about personal finance, investing, and other random topics to make you a happier human. If you like what you hear, give us a five-star review and share the episode with someone you care about. You can connect with me via my blog, medicalmoney.com, and just remember that the content of this podcast is general in nature and not personal financial advice. Podcast guests are sharing their own opinions and may hold positions in companies discussed. Please seek professional advice before making any financial decision and always read the product disclosure statements. Good afternoon, Mark. Thanks for joining me today to talk about crypto and its tax implications. How are you? Very well, thanks, Andrew. Thanks for having me on. Thanks. Uh, Today, I'd like to cover the range of topics that helps listeners understand and plan their crypto investing. But before we dive into capital gains tax, staking, mining, and structures, can you please tell me a bit about yourself, your crypto journey, and what you do at the moment to help crypto investors? Of course. So, uh, I've been involved in the crypto space for a number of years. Um, About mid-2017, a friend and myself started a business wanting to help people understand cryptocurrency better. There was a lot of people investing at the time. Um, Not a lot of people knew exactly what they were getting into. Um, We wanted to protect those people. So we've been on quite a journey since doing education at the start and um, have now become primarily focused in tax reporting around cryptocurrencies. So 2019, ATO put out um, a bit of a flag around, you know, this is relevant. We really want people to be declaring their gains and there wasn't much information out there on how to do that. Um, so we thought given we'd started this business, it was a natural progression to start helping people tidy up their tax. Um, so now, yeah, we run a company doing that as 90% of our business. We, we do offer a lot of consulting services alongside that from our uh, experience with the tax side. We, we know a lot about DeFi and the different projects out there. Um, so we do some consulting to help uh, clients understand those. Um, and the different staking options and things out there. Um, but primarily, yeah, we, we calculate tax that's uh, owed to help people declare stuff and help their accountants understand what's going on because, yeah, there was this gap in the market where accountants themselves didn't even necessarily know. So clients were really looking for someone to help them get this information squared away. Because mm, otherwise, you're effectively paying your accountant to, to learn the, the tax code just for you. <laughs> yeah, and we, we saw some outrageous bills. Um, you know, we heard 36 hours um, from one client earlier was what their accountant needed to bill them to do a simple crypto tax return. Wow. Um, and obviously, at accounting rates, it's, it's not affordable. So, um, yeah, we're hopefully um, helping a lot of people get around that. Um, as well as to yeah, help those accountants themselves understand um, the procedure better. And um, we do a lot of presentating um, to the different accounting bodies themselves 
So the CAANZ, for example, we've um, presented recently to their accounting body um, about crypto tax and its implications. Mm, okay. So you said 2015, was it, that you started? Uh, 2017 um, we started. Um, you know, doing the... 2017. Yeah. And then how, did, how did you go after? <laughs> kind of 17 was kind of like a run, which we've seen in the last year. Yeah. How, how were things kind of in 18 and oh, that was um, funny. Yeah, after that? Because that would have been an interesting time. Oh, it was a very interesting time, Andrew, let me tell you, because yeah. we started yeah. an education business, right? So it's 2017. Everybody loves to know, um, you know, what's going with crypto. Everyone's making money and is happy. And then obviously the big crash happened in 2018. And um, it is partly why we started the company. We sort of wanted to warn people that, you know, it's not always going to be um you know sunshine and um people cashing out big checks but um essentially 2018 came and yeah people got a bit of a, a realistic hit where um the market was down there wasn't as much money to be made so to speak and so yeah people really weren't interested at all in crypto educations just like that it was sort of a, a switch of um a light so to speak and so we were left um you know knowing a lot about crypto um being very passionate about the space but all of a sudden you know uh, the clientele that we had wasn't interested in learning the same way we were um and that's sort of ironic given the state of the space now as soon as you know it was down in 2018 people didn't want to learn which is probably exactly when they should have been learning if they wanted to capitalize on the you know what's happened since but essentially we adapted um and found new ways to use our skill set um and we actually started working directly for some different blockchain projects um here in australia and internationally as sort of just blockchain advisors um, on those projects. So one was called Concrete in out of Melbourne, um, and they were doing fractionalized real estate investment um, on the blockchain, um, a project that years later has not still been cracked because there is a lot of regulatory and um, legal work that needs to be done. But um, we advised on that project as one of um, a few different things um, to both uh, obviously continue to derive income, but obviously we were just so passionate about the space we wanted to be involved at a more technical level. So yeah, it was good to have that experience. And it obviously meant that come 2019 when um, we sort of found this new tax direction, um, it did mean that we were very well equipped to understand the different projects out there and um, sort of the ways that they interact. Mm-hmm. And so you mentioned 2019, the uh, the ATO kind of has, has uh, is classing a cl- or casting a closer magnifying glass on the tax implications of crypto. So maybe we can start with the big picture where cryptocurrency like in 2017, in 2020 and 21 has really seen this massive increase in adoption. Mm. Um, what are some of the common mistakes, misunderstandings and myths around cryptocurrencies and tax? Yeah, well, probably the biggest one that we see day-to-day from clients um, is going to be that um, you only get taxed uh, when you exchange back to fiat. So probably the most common misunderstanding is simply that um, every taxable event, uh, sorry, every trade, be it crypto to crypto or crypto to fiat, that's all taxable. Um, so everything you do trading between cryptos, um, which often with a lot of people becomes, uh, I guess you might start doing one or two and then all of a sudden you, you've done hundreds of transactions. Um People often don't think about that at the time um, when they're doing those trades um, as different taxable events. Um, So another sort of um, ramification of that is that 
people also expect that if they've spent a hundred thousand dollars and um, you know it's decreased to fifty thousand dollars and then they've now got say um, the same assets that are worth half the value um, that doesn't mean necessarily that your losses will just add to fifty thousand um, and this is something that you know we've really only started to see when it comes to crypto because previously um, it was just much harder to sort of uh, not have your gains um, or losses add directly to uh, the monetary value that you've got and it is due to the complexity of everything going on in the crypto space um, and so the yeah. untraceability and the anonymity mm. of it—that's not really—that's not really a real thing anymore, is it? Yeah, people I think have started to understand um, the that while you know Bitcoin was originally thought to be anonymous, it's really far from that. Um, the idea that these ledgers are actually public and the data itself is highly traceable. Um, that's yeah, quite a, a mistake in thinking that um, you know anything you've done on a blockchain is going to be anonymous. Um, so yeah, people I think have a better grasp of that these days. Uh, I think the market itself, um, a lot of people are much better educated um, about the different things going on since 2017. And I think it's probably to do with um, how hard a lot of people did get burnt in 2017 with a lot of the scams and things in the space. A lot of the projects just didn't have um, as much realistic value to them yet or it was harder to determine the value. Um, so I think it's quite interesting seeing now that um, you know people have a better understanding and that includes tax. I think people are getting more comfortable with the idea that it's um, you know not something you can avoid and um, you do just need to declare this information um, whether it's gains or losses um, and it is on a trade by trade basis right so um, you know people also have some thoughts where they think uh, you know I might be able to avoid tax by you know using a gifting scenario or something like that where I could um, you know gift some crypto to a family and therefore avoid um, a taxable event but um, the way the ATO treats it is that a, a taxable event is a disposal. So in the case that you're gifting crypto, um, it's just a disposal the same way. So it doesn't really matter the way that you dispose of the cryptocurrency. Um, it's always going to be a taxable event. So there's very few, if any, ways that you can really get around uh, the taxation. Mm. And so why do you think the ATO's approach has changed in the last couple of years? And you know, are there any changes on the horizon that you think might be significant? It's uh, reasonably difficult to uh, derive much from the ATO directly because they're quite quiet, I guess, about um, you know what might be going on behind the scenes. What we have got in terms of feedback is that they're actually doing a lot more work than you might think, um, trying to set in place rules and um, things that will last not just a few years, but actually serve the test of time and are still in place 10 years from now. So they're not you know, having to continually change and update legislation, even though that might be somewhat unavoidable as they might have learnt. Um, I guess the last year has seen, like I said, from the time we started talking um, about this um, and there was sort of no interest um, just before 2019 when the ATO announced it. As soon as the ATO announced it, obviously accountants were more interested. Um, but it's really taken a number of years for sort of the general space to have a grasp of what's going on here and how to tax it. Um, 
if anything, the ATO has just been getting hotter and hotter on things. Um, so we're seeing a lot more people getting letters um, saying that they owe tax if they haven't declared it. Um, and we're seeing a higher granularity to, um, I guess, the understanding from the ATO and what they expect to see um, in terms of documentation and so forth. Um, so I guess, yeah, a lot's been happening, but um, in terms of direct legislation, I don't think much is changing. One, I guess, thing that I would imagine stands out to me that they might change is currently there's a differential between staking and mining, and we may get into that conversation a bit later, um, but currently they see mining and staking as a different thing, and it's actually taxed. One is taxed as income and one's not taxed as income, um, whereas I believe they'll probably see that um, whether it's mining or staking, that's all income. And um, that's one update that I expect to see, but not from any uh, conversation they've had, purely just from my own experience. Mm. So, yeah, I think really yeah. the, the general point is that they're just getting better at um, knowing what people owe. Um, and so they're cracking down more and more. Mm. And so when it, on that untraceability and anonymity thing, mm. what data and information does the ATO have? Is there obligations from the big uh, exchanges like Binance or SwiftFX uh, to mm. have to uh, declare that information? Yeah, so currently um, there is a data matching scheme in place by the Australian government that is only with those exchanges in Australian jurisdictions. So um, currently the ATO can only legally um, acquire, say, CoinSpot or the BTC markets, all of those um, data sets. Um, so they can't actually you know, request from Binance um, given it's in Chinese jurisdiction, the data. However, um, what we see is a lot of the data becomes um, manipulated through Binance or something and then it ends up on an exchange where you sell it to Australian dollars. Um, so the way we basically put it on the map to people is, um, you know, if you've traded on Binance and you've traded on different exchanges, that really is a part of the bigger picture. And um, one way or another, ATO is sort of going to figure out something's happened. And so we take the stance of just declaring all information above and beyond what the ATO legally can acquire. Um, because essentially, if you've traded on Binance and then later on you've sold that Bitcoin on BTC markets, when we go to declare your tax, um, the ATO says, hey, where did this Bitcoin come from on BTC markets? So they know that you've somewhere or another, it ends up on the track of the ATO um, and they can trace something. Um, so yeah, currently what they do data match is all the Australian exchanges. Um, however, we yeah recommend that people declare all of their information because we're expecting that over time they'll find ways to understand the complete picture. Mm, so basically, if you're off-ramping to an Australian dollar, they'll follow the breadcrumbs. Yeah, that's to, it. And they'll never know. That's it. They'll never know exactly yeah. potentially where it did come from, but they'll say, hey, this is a red flag to us, so you need to do some explaining. Okay, that makes sense. All right, let's talk about capital gains tax, where everybody wants to find the next, uh, you know, mooning coin that does 100x. Let's mm -hmm. start simple with buying and selling. Can you just explain how CGT is calculated for crypto investments? Certainly. So to give you a rundown um, from the top, when we first make a purchase with our fiat currency, say AUD in this example, um, we're not going to pay any tax. So we've just acquired some cryptocurrency um, until we do something else with it. We don't owe any tax. Um, if we then want to 
trade that basically for a different coin, that's when we get a taxable event. So as soon as we've acquired some crypto, say we acquire some Bitcoin, if we later exchange that Bitcoin for Ethereum, or if we exchanged it back to AUD, it doesn't matter whether it's for crypto or whether it's back to a fiat currency. Um, when we dispose of that first crypto, we now owe tax. Um, so the way that that has worked is um, the price difference in the asset that we bought. Um, and so when we bought the original Bitcoin, um, we bought it for an original price. Let's say we bought some Bitcoin recently for 50,000 AUD. Um, and then we later traded it for Ethereum and now Bitcoin was valued at 70,000 AUD. Um, the price difference in the Bitcoin is from 50 to 70. And so we've made a $20,000 capital gain, um, which we need to declare. So now that that's finished, we've got Ethereum as a new coin and that begins its own cycle where until we trade that or we dispose of that Ethereum, um, when we do, that's when another taxable event will occur and we'll need to figure out the price difference of the Ethereum again. Um, so that's the taxable events. If you transfer between exchanges or between your own wallets, that's not going to be taxed. So a disposal is declare, uh, sort of um, described as um, having to leave your control. So anything where you're sending it from an exchange account that you control to a wallet that you control or another wallet, um, a hardware wallet to a software wallet, as long as it's still in your control, there's no tax. Um, if you were to send it to a friend, um, then that's obviously a disposal. You're no longer in control and you now have to declare either a gain or a loss on the price difference of that asset. And that can be an issue for, say, couples. If one one person uh, buys it, but then it transfers out onto a hardware wallet owned by, say, your girlfriend or your mm. or your, your wife, then that's a transfer, um, a disposal, isn't it? Because it's gone onto into their asset base. Yeah. So this is an interesting one where, um, if you were working with someone like us, we can actually um, declare that. Um, essentially not a disposal because, you know, within your particular arrangement, um, you and your wife might share that nano ledger. Um, however, it might, it might even just be hers, but you're still technically in control. So there's no reason you should have to pay gains unless you've actually sent it to your wife. If it is the sense, you know, you're actually transferring it to her and the ownership is changing. Um, there are cases where, you know, you could send it to a different wallet. It could be your wife's wallet, but technically it's still in your ownership. It all comes down to whose is it? You know, are you still in control of that? Um, or have you sent it to your wife um, as a permanent exchange? You know, have is, is it a sale? Is it for some reason? Um, are you just giving it to your wife to hold for you? You know what I mean? It's all about the, the derivation of what's happened. Um, obviously, from a standpoint of... Um, you know, it, it would look like that, a disposal from the raw data as well. So people could get caught out where they have just sent it to their wife, but it looks like a disposal. Um, so it's important to declare all this information the right way. Um, and there's obviously a number of methods you can you can go about doing that. And with a CGT discount, does that apply like it does to other asset classes with a 50% off if you uh, hold for more than 12 months? 
It does. So here in Australia, we're fortunate enough to have that benefit. Um, one of the few places that, in fact, only place I think that I've heard of that offers any sort of discount um, for long-term holdings. Um, so yeah, a really good one to look out for anyone in Australia. Um, you can hold just like stocks, any of your crypto for longer than 12 months and then sell it and you'll only pay 50% of the tax. How about what separates a investor from a trader? Will the ATO look at you and say if you've done multiple, um, you know, movements within one day, uh, or yeah, or you know, within a mm. couple of days? To, is there a point where they'll say you're actually a trader and you're due for full capital gains tax with no discount? Yeah, look, there is a definite point um, of derivation. It's up to your accountant, really, at the end of the day, what they're comfortable uh, classifying you as. Um, Certainly, if you've done enough volume to be classified as a trader, they might look at it and say, hey, you're not really an investor. Um, Most of the time... It's more of a choice for tax reasons. Like most people will, um, if they do have the volume of a trader, it's worth looking at because it actually can be beneficial to be considered a trader um, rather than an investor for tax purposes if you do have higher volumes. Um, if you are classified like that, um, yeah, there's, there is different tax cases and things, but generally the volume is the the point of data that's looked at. If you're doing a, a high volume, say 5,000 plus transactions in a year, um, then you might be looking at um, the sort of categorization of a professional trader. Mm. I just want to, I suppose a lot of people understand shares and how they work in terms of if you bought, you know, a shares at a dollar and it went up and you then dollar cost averaged and you bought uh, more at $2, but then you decide to sell some of those. Mm-hmm. Can you do a first in, does it, does a first mm-hmm. in first out or last in last out, or can you choose which, um, you know, coins that you want to claim um, as your CGT or as your yeah. loss even? So you can, um, you do have the choice in Australia to choose your accounting method. Um, first in, first out, last in, last out, two common um, choices. But um, what we actually run by standard is called highest in, first out. Um, so in the case that you've acquired multiple um costs of the same asset so you've acquired bitcoin at three different prices across six months um, and then you go to sell it um, sell some amount of bitcoin Um, the highest in first out method will actually use the highest cost so this is actually minimizing your taxable gains in any one tax year so the reason we use this is obvious Um, most people want to try and minimize their tax in any given year it's not sort of saving you any tax it's just saying um, you know it's using that method where you'll hold on to um, your lowest cost coins Mm. and so we're coming we're recording this kind of in the first week of June where we're coming towards the end of the financial year. Mm. Does the wash sale thing that applies to shares apply to crypto as well? Say, you know, all right, I bought in at 65,000 when it was 65,000 US and now it's down to say 35,000 US. I want to get rid of those, but I don't want to sell the ones that I bought at, you know, 10,000 US last year and then rebuy it again uh, next financial year. Yeah, it's pretty pretty grey. All the wash sale stuff, just like in traditional stocks, is reasonably grey purely for the reason that um, there's no harm in selling off an asset for to crystallise a tax loss. So if you're sitting here, June, um, as we are, um, coming into the end of financial year and you're seeing, um, you know, I've got some different assets that are performing at a loss, um, it might be useful for my tax to 
um, you know, declare a loss. Um, that's fine, but only if you're actually choosing to sell those coins. So you can't just say, hey, I'm going to go and sell them and then I'll rebuy them after because it claims the loss and then I've got the coins back, right? So any case where your intention is to rebuy the coins afterwards within a short period, um, that's still considered a wash sale. Um, and within crypto, it's actually quite tricky, right? Because uh, the markets are 24-7, the markets are so volatile. So there's a lot of cases where you very well genuinely might change your opinion in a few days. Um, I guess the timing of it's going to be speculative. So the, the ATO sees, hey, around you know 29th of June, they've traded out all their assets and then bought them back in July. Um, that's clearly wash wash sales. So really um, the, the differential is, hey, is it is it wash sales that's illegal? Um, tax harvest loss uh, loss harvesting um, is you know not illegal if you're just claiming the losses and not buying back the assets so we do get the question a lot and it's um, yeah quite an interesting one where yeah you just can't derive a loss and claim it and then buy back the asset immediately and there's some different timelines like you know a week to um, you know anything within a week apparently raises alarm bells mm. just want a question on uh Calculating cost base. You mentioned that transfers between exchanges and wallets doesn't um, doesn't you don't uh, not uh, not CGT events. However, if there are costs, say gas fees for moving things across, does that form part of the cost base? And how does that work? Yeah. So any any fees essentially that's like a disposal. So when you send um, some asset out of an exchange, um, essentially we are disposing of the fee. So it's as if we've um, disposed of it. We're not receiving anything for the disposal. So technically we're spending it as a fee. Um, and the own little CGT is run on that fee, right? So we figure out any CGT owed on the fee, et cetera. But um, fees in purchases are included in the cost base. So if you pay a fee, it will be accounted for as um, part of the cost base. Okay. Yeah, that makes sense. And with losses, so your capital losses can be deducted against, um, you know, your gains. Yep. How about lost coins? What happens there? What do people do if they've suddenly either lost a ledger or a, a um, exchange has gone down or yep. a, a coin operator has gone out of business? Yeah, we work with a lot of clients on these ones. Um, the ATO is not as good at necessarily um, – you know, remunerating all of this because in some cases it can be hundreds of thousands of dollars and it's just going off, um, you know, us saying that that exchange has gone bust or whatever. So the ATO obviously needs to do some research into this before they start paying out people's um, different claims. Um, but the way we've gone about it is uh, whenever a client comes to us when we're doing reporting and says as part of their declaration, I've lost um, some assets or I've lost a wallet or they any of these different methods, it might have been a scam coin that's gone bust. Um, what we'll do is treat that data separately. We'll prepare a loss report uh, or irretrievable asset report that basically just says um, these are the assets that have been lost. This is the data as to why we believe the client as to them being either, we use the word irretrievable because sometimes the coins just can't be traded anymore. So you still hold them, but there's no liquidity on any market. So you've essentially, um, it's an irretrievable value from those coins. Um, so we claim a loss in those cases. Um, so unfortunately, 
yeah, we don't like to run it just as though they're definitely lost. And this is because, as you can imagine, um, if someone's holding onto a coin and it's got zero value or no liquidity now, that doesn't mean that tomorrow a market might pop up for it. Um, so we need to be careful in cases where we're claiming things lost. Um, essentially, the same thing with a nano ledger. Say a client says, oh, I lost two Bitcoin and I don't have the keys anymore. It's like, well, prove you don't have the keys anymore. And they, no one can prove you don't have keys. Um, <laughs> so obviously, the problem is um, just needing to be really diligent in evidencing these things as best we can um, and declaring them sort of separately to the things we know as definite losses. Um, there's sort of this sort of a separate declaration we make um, for irretrievable assets. Um, and we're hoping some, depending on the value, your accountant might look at that irretrievable asset report and say, all right, it's a $2,000 loss, I'm going to trust them and the, your accountant might be happy to file that in your return and you'll get that $2,000 loss remunerated immediately. Um, but we've had some cases where, like I said, we might have um, $200,000 that was a scam coin and um, the only evidence is them sending Ethereum to a different address. Um, we've had cases where obviously the accountant isn't as comfortable just putting in, hey, they lost 200000 this year um, and they you know, sort of just want to wait and see what the ATO thinks first. Mm, okay. And so from a record-keeping side of things, how onerous and how detailed do records need need to be available if the ATO does come and want to order you? Yeah, well, it's funny. Um, the ATO, like I've said, should have um, the data already. And the reason they can do that is because um, any of these exchanges are keeping the data. So records you need to keep personally like you don't need to go in a notebook and write down every trade that you do unless you particularly want to like i take some enjoyment myself in tracking my trades physically in a notebook but um essentially from a um ato's perspective your exchange accounts will have the data they're the ones that are liable to keep the data um so just making sure that any of the exchanges any of the wallets that you do use you're able to actually do a data export of that's the main thing. So you don't need to keep records. You just need to make sure the records are available and potentially download them to um, your hard drive. Um, so that's what we recommend is just making sure you use reputable exchanges and things so that the data trail is there. Um, and then it's as simple as come tax time, you can just export it all rather than going back through a notebook or whatever it might be. Mm. Can you explain the personal use limits and, and what passes the pub test? Because I think back, you know, pre-2017, a lot of people uh, would have gone, okay, this is just personal assets. No one could really track it, but it's yep. really changed now, hasn't it? Yeah, from my experience, um, personal use, although there's that great ATO rule here that um, personal use is exempt from CGT, um, we rarely see it claimed. And that is because it's very difficult um, and very grey around what is, you know, what is the pub test essentially. So um, a it comes down to your accountant again. Um, what your accountant is willing to call personal use is basically what we call personal use. Um, we've got an in-house accounting team as well here at CryptoKate, but um, we work with a lot of people's accountants as well. So whether the client comes to us um and their accountant makes the call or whether they're using our in-house accounting team and our accountants make the call. Um, it's just based on what's realistic. So if you buy some, the ATO basically wants to see to claim this rule. They want to see that you receive some Bitcoin, 
you could have purchased it, you could have been mining it, whatever whatever method of deriving it. Um, they want to see that you received it. And at that point you received it, you made a declaration, I'm going to go out and spend this amount of Bitcoin on my groceries. Um, and then that same day you go out and you spend that amount of Bitcoin on your groceries. Um, the Bitcoin can't be converted to AUD first and then spent, which is what a lot of the crypto credit cards do, because that's actually not spending crypto. That's converting. That's just doing a capital gains event and then spending AUD. So this is a, a common misconception: is that any of the tax card, the crypto credit cards, are using uh, personal use um, <laughs> to be personal use? You actually have to send a crypto asset to another crypto asset address. So it would be like. Um, a coffee shop accepts Bitcoin and you go in and you receive, you bought some Bitcoin that day and you said, I'm going to spend $3 of it on a coffee later. And then you went in and you did exactly that. And you sent $3 of Bitcoin to the coffee shop owner and they received it um, for that coffee. That's now personal use. And you can write off the capital gain that may or may not have occurred in that six hours. (laughs) So Mm, it's it's very much the case that, um, you know, you can't just, buy Bitcoin at the start of the week and say, I'm going to use this for personal use and go and buy your groceries on Thursday or get the car washed on Tuesday. Um, it's got to be basically case by case. Um, it, it might be applicable to someone who's mining. Um, so you're mining lots of crypto, you're receiving it, um, and then you're going out and spending it whatever way you might be able to find um, regularly. Um, if it's short periods, it might pass the pub test. Um, if you're doing anything over, you know, 12 hours, it's not going to pass. Yeah, that's interesting because you might put, like you said, uh, on a Monday, you might put in enough money to buy the groceries and, and a dinner out. But by Friday, you might be buying, struggling to buy a pack of the chewies. Yeah, that's it. Yeah. The changes in the markets that's that we've it. seen in the past well, You might be eating like a king. It might go either way. But uh, <laughs> unfortunately, yeah, that is what they're sort of, that's why the rules there is if that case did happen and you were trying to use personal use, um, they don't want you to have to pay gains that you shouldn't have. But essentially, they don't want people to avoid tax with this either. So the way it works is, um, you know, in the niche case that you are regularly buying and selling, exchanging crypto for goods and services, um, you can claim it. Absolutely will be exempt from CGT. um, And that's great. Um, But we just find for a lot of people, unless you're someone that's, you know, spending crypto every day, which is tricky to do still in the fashion I mentioned where you're not just converting it to fiat and the credit card, the crypto credit card spends the fiat and you've spent Bitcoin. Um, that's actually still not personal use in the eyes of the ATO. So, you know, it's quite interesting. The direction the world's heading is more lots of those crypto credit cards when really for the ATO's ruling of personal use to be useful, um, everyone, all these vendors would need to start accepting crypto directly. Mm, which is funny because some of these multi uh, forex cards have been available for as travelers cards where people have been putting mm. money in. Then, as far as I know, you, I think the Commonwealth Bank one you could have half a dozen currencies. You never really needed to pay CGT if uh, no. if you were out of a whole new whole new frame. Mm. Um, a lot of guys have probably made you know decent amounts of money with uh, mooning coins like Doge and got out of Bitcoin uh, before it collapsed. What are some ways that people can be keeping money aside for their tax liabilities? Because Mm. obviously, if we do see another major correction, that people's tax liabilities could far outweigh their coin holdings, and and that could be a a major issue. 
So I think, um, yeah, being hot on it as you go and sort of uh, estimating a little bit, um, knowing, I guess, at each trade you make, there's going to be some tax owed. So you can sort of have an idea as you go of um, what you might owe. And then in terms of keeping money aside, obviously it's not as you, or easy these days to cash out to fiat and have some fiat just sitting aside for that tax bill, um, <clears throat> which is obviously what people would do in the traditional stock market. It's like, hey, I've closed a position, I've received this much fiat, so I'm going to put some aside for my tax. Um, with crypto, it's not that simple. It actually probably costs you more to cash out to fiat. Um, the way I guess I'd look at it is um, while you're making these trades and things, um, if you make a sizable gain trading Doge or whatever it might be, um, you can always trade again a little bit of that to a stable coin. Um, and this is something we've used regularly in our business structure because we receive cryptocurrency as income for a bunch of our different services. Um, what we will do is if we've made some gains, um, when we realize those gains, part of what we'll do is trade some of um, our holdings to a stable coin. What this means is... Um, if our, uh, you know, all of a sudden those assets drop in value and we don't want to have to sell them to pay our tax liability, um, it means that we've got some in a stable coin that is holding its um, value. And um, irrespective of which way the market goes, we've still got some in a stable coin that if we want to cash it out, we can. We don't have to. So we haven't taken it out of crypto and paid the extra cost. But um, should we need to pay the tax bill, there is some crypto that's sitting there that's stable, easy enough to cash out, but it's holding, I guess, the tax bill's value. Yeah, that makes sense. And so we've talked about kind of vanilla style investing of uh, just buying and selling. Let's move on to things that are a little bit more exotic in the crypto and digital asset space. So buying on margin has become so easy, it's almost a bit scary. How do we calculate the tax on leverage investments and where do the interest costs come into play in terms of um, you know, deductibility? Hmm. So certainly it, it is almost a little bit scary how um, regularly we sort of see this stuff and the amount of markets on any exchange these days that have 10x next to them and it's just um, you know a click away from um, trading on 10x leverage. Um, really what it breaks down to, buying on margin, leverage trading, essentially where you're um, trading with money that you don't have, um, what that is is really as though you've um, borrowed money to do so. So when we trade on 10x leverage, um, we're using the 1x. So say we've got $1,000, we're using $1,000 to trade with $10,000 of value. Um, so what we do is just calculate the gain as though you've um, used $10,000. Um, and if uh, you do um, in that process, you know, the price goes up. Um, and so from your margin trade, you've made a profit and you close it. Um, you've made 10x the profit, right? Um, so what happens is um, the capital gains on the asset that you didn't have, your cost base essentially is only 1x of the profit, whereas your profit's going to be much higher. So you're really paying full capital gains on the money you borrowed. So it's really just about, um, you know, if you make a big loss from margin trading, you're going to have a big loss on your, on your books. If you make a big gain, you're going to make a big gain. Um, and it's basically just looked at as 
you didn't you you borrowed money to do it so that doesn't matter so much it's really just the result which is either much bigger or much smaller um sorry much bigger in a good way or much bigger in a bad way um than if you just traded on one x right so it, it, there's no real tax implication to worry about other than it's um obviously worrying thinking about if you made a 10x gain um and you're not you know expecting it come tax time um you didn't have that asset to do but obviously you've made a 10x gain so you're pretty happy mm. yeah but you know if you lost though because your account yeah. would, would show that exactly uh, so how did you lose 10x on only this amount of coin right um but that is something that has been occurring um people can leverage trade and um it's either good or bad a lot of people lose out and um from a tax perspective it is yeah quite interesting because you just see these big numbers popping up out of nowhere and it's um quite interesting because the clients don't always say hey this is from margin trading so you sort of just you know wondering where these big values came from um and like you said it is becoming almost scary these days how much it pops up and uh i guess you know how easy it is to get into given the risk of it yeah yeah i can't remember who was the uh, famous investor who said there were kind of three things that could undo an investor and that was liquor ladies and uh, and leverage <laughs> leverage yeah, those kind of numbers yeah that's it <laughs> Yeah. Uh, as, as many protocols are moving to uh, proof of stake, many people are also staking their coins. Can you explain how staking works and then also the tax implications of those coins um, that, are, that are paid out for staking? Of course. So staking becoming very popular. Um, it's the technical way of basically taking an asset we already hold, um, locking it up within a protocol, um, and for having that stake locked, we're going to derive a passive income. So the reason protocols do this is because if you've locked your assets away in a stake, um, you can't go and sell them. So it decreases the supply available on exchanges and things, and it increases the demand. So it's just a good thing to have projects um, use staking. It also is a way of validating the network. So we've heard the big argument um, of proof of work and proof of stake, and that is because proof of work uh, derives and burns a lot of power in order to validate the network. And um, proof of stake uses a lot less energy and just requires people to put up a stake um, against that validation. So essentially behind the scenes, what's happening is when you stake an asset against a, a node, a blockchain node, um, that, as that node is validating transactions. And when it does do that, it earns some of the transaction fees. Um, and because you've staked against that node, you earn um, your reciprocal amount worth of the transaction fees. So if the node that you've staked to um, earns $100,000 of transaction fees and you um, the value you've staked towards it is 10%, then you'll earn 10% of the fees. Um, so it basically is just a way to participate in the validation of a network and all you need to do is have some of an asset that you like it needs to be a proof of stake coin um, and you stake it in a wallet with basically two clicks these days it can be very easy um, and you will start receiving an asset passively um, just for doing that um, what that will look like is um, a form of small um, often it's five percent a year five to ten percent you might get staking um, and so either on a daily or monthly weekly all different scales um, 
they'll pay out this uh, reward. So you'll now um, earn 5% and it might be paid out each day. So you earn a small fraction of what you've staked back as a reward. Um, what that will mean from a tax perspective is basically you're deriving income. So it's like you're earning interest because you have um, staked an asset and for doing so, you're now earning this new income stream. Um, and so it's looked at as though it, it's ordinary income. So each time you receive uh, some rewards from staking, you need to declare that as income um, and pay tax as income. And then basically from that um, declaration, if you then later sell those staked, uh, the rewards you receive from staking, you pay capital gains like normal. So if you received um, $1 worth of a coin as a reward from staking, um, you will declare, hey, today I, I received, say I received one ADA, which is Cardano. Um, and one ADA is actually more likely to be around about $3, let's call it. So we'll declare $3 um, of income. Um, and then later on, if that one ADA, um, we later sell it, um, the same way any capital gains is done, um, we'll calculate the difference between the $3 that we received as income and the price of ADA when we sell it. Mm. But if, so if I'm doing it as a way to hodl um, ADA, yep. basically my... I will get, say I get, you know, uh, paid this year. That goes onto my income statement for this year and I'll have to pay tax on that. And should I not sell that ADA until, you know, five years down the track, it will then accumulate CGT based on the difference between Correct. Uh, today's price when I yeah. pay tax. You still have to factor in a tax burden despite not actually uh, moving those coins into any form of fiat currency. Correct, yeah. So we've uh, we've received um, uh, them and that is a tax burden just receiving them. We need to declare uh, them at market value at the time of receiving them. So this can actually be relatively uh strenuous to do um, in cases where it's paid out daily, um, sometimes even hourly. So the ATO actually wants to see every hour, hey, I received you know, 50 cents and then I'll say it might be five cents. Um, and each time you receive it, we need to declare it, not just um, you know each day. If it's received every hour, then we need to declare every hour. Um, so yeah, it's quite a, quite a tricky one to do in some cases, depending on how the rewards are paid out. Um, but essentially, yeah, you owe income tax immediately as soon as you um, earn those rewards. And then later on, it, yeah, you know, years later, whenever you might sell them, that's when the capital gains will be incurred. So, yeah, that makes sense. And how about yield farming? That's different to staking, isn't it? Certainly is. So, yield farming is yeah. um, different again. Where essentially what we're doing with yield farming is um, providing liquidity in uh, using different assets. Um, and farming the yield, so to speak, that's available um, when we combine different assets and we lock them up. Um, basically, there's a number of different protocols that allow you to earn um, inflated um, percentages um, yearly. Um, and it's because we're basically leveraging multiple assets at once. Um, so yield farming has become very popular due to how, uh, you know, these higher promised APYs. Um, however, it's yeah, very much the case that from a tax perspective, um, it can be quite 
difficult because the data trail looks really interesting where you're basically trading a few assets and you receive a pool token um, and then later on you're trading that pool token back for a number of different assets and it's a different um, amount of those assets. Um, so from a tax perspective, it's quite difficult in terms of the data, but to understand, um, really, you're just paying capital gains again. So um, when you're farming yield, you're trading a token for a placeholder. And then when you trade the placeholder back, um, you are, well, while you're holding the token, first and foremost, you're receiving um you're receiving payouts. So that is actually income. So if you're um, yield farming, there's an income component as well as um, the capital gains that might be due after. Um, so basically, yeah, you, you put a number of assets into the farm, um, then you'll be getting paid out as income um, based on transactions that go through that pool um, and then when you withdraw your token out at the end of the day um, there'll be some capital gains implications because the assets you receive back are different to the ones you put in it's all very complicated <laughs> yes yeah, <sorry, sorry. laughs> yeah. hopefully hopefully listeners were able to digest a little bit of that it's um you, as soon as you mentioned yield farming it just gets really complex um even to discuss how it works yeah and so a lot of people are also looking at mining crypto or have already mined crypto yeah how is tax um, yeah, calculated there? Is it the same thing where it's income and then you've got the CGT? And then also yep. can you um, deduct things like electricity costs and costs of setting up your rig? Yep. So um, mining is, like I mentioned earlier in the, the episode, it's funny how the ATO currently distinguishes mining differently from staking. Um, so mining is not thought of as ordinary income. So with mining, you actually don't declare anything until you sell the assets that you received so if you're mining and you're receiving bitcoin when you receive it unlike staking <laughs> even though they're the same thing it's quite a funny one um you receive it from mining you don't declare any income but then when you sell it later you pay a hundred percent capital gains so rather than um going from the market value to what you sold it for you actually go from zero to what you sold it for because you haven't declared any income Mm. How about uh, CGT discount? Do you get any discount there if you hold the held yep. those, um So same as staking. For, for yeah, so if you mine something or you stake it and you receive a reward, um, same way of any of the CGTs calculated, if you hold it longer than 12 months, um, then you'll get a discount. So if you're mining or staking, um, when you receive it, if you hold it 12 months, then you'll get the capital gains discount. So in the case of mining, it's really beneficial because currently – you'll get a capital gains discount on the full amount um, rather than in the staking case, you do, you pay income and there's no discount on the income tax. That makes sense. And you mentioned uh, credit cards before. Some of these credit cards uh, allow you to get reward points in uh, crypto rewards. How does that work? Is that classified as income as well? Because typically with, you know, Qantas frequent flyer rewards, you don't have to pay anything on those. No. So this is, um, yeah, 100% when you receive um, all of those different credit cards, rewards, um, whether it's Coinbase Earn, you might have seen, you can do some quizzes and you, you got paid 20 bucks of different coins. Um, doesn't matter if it's that or whether it's like a referral program on an exchange um, like Binance. Um, any of those 
are viewed as rewards and so that is just income um so the only thing that's not seen as income so airdrop that's income anything that's given to you for free like that is income except for hard forks so when there's a chain split like in the case of um btc uh cash Bitcoin Cash, um, when that hard forked and anyone that was holding Bitcoin received Bitcoin Cash, um, in these cases, you just uh, pay 100% CGT as well. So you don't pay any income because it would be unfair really any time that you got hit with one of these, even if it wasn't your choice, you had to pay income tax. Um, So they don't charge you any income on the hard forks what they do charge you is capital gains whenever you sell it so you'll pay 100 percent because you haven't paid anything for it Mm, okay and then the nfts or non-fungible tokens has really developed this year with artworks video clips and now gaming skins available for purchase inside Mm. these different um, platforms do these act as collectibles like you know uh, classic cars or, or paintings where quite often they're cgt free or are they investments where if you happen to, you know, purchase the only, um, you know, skin of its type and mm. it goes up over time with the potential for it to be uh, unsold, mm. are they collectibles or are they investments? Funnily enough, I believe they're currently viewed as investments, even though the very nature of the NFT is to be a collectible. Um, <laughs> so quite a, an ironic um, light at the moment shed by the ATO where um, because so many NFTs are looked at as an investment where um, whether it's, you know, a collectible um, that's a one-off or it's, um, you know, unstoppable domains, for example, there's, um, you know, you can buy URLs that are NFTs and there's all these different things. Um, essentially, there's so much blur between um, collectibles and investments in the NFT realm, I think that the ATO has just said, hey, these are all investments for now. And um, anytime you buy or sell an NFT, um, you owe tax the same way that you uh, do on other cryptocurrencies. Okay, very good. Right. So maybe let's just quickly touch on structures. I know you can't obviously give personal advice, but can you give just some um, rule of thumb things as to what structures might be most suitable for people who are just buying and and hodling versus those that are getting into the staking, yield farming, um, and also the mining side of things? Yeah, certainly. So I think um, it's pretty apparent from my experience that um, really most people do just fit into your everyday category where whether you're a a hodler or a trader doing some staking, yield farming, mining even, um, most of these things, if you're just, um, you know, doing them a little bit and it's not your everyday thing, um, then you're just going to be taxed as, you know, an investor, a normal trader. They're all seen the same. Um, The differential is a professional trader or a company, um, and that's the structure that we see um, at higher volumes, um, people that are trading at a desk every day, they're sitting there and deriving profit from what they're doing. It's essentially, you know, trading as a business to um, derive income from your profits. Um, And in the case of some miners, uh, you mentioned earlier, and I don't think we touched, uh, can you claim capital expenses, electricity costs, income and stuff like that against your mining? Um, You can if you are at a certain stage where you create a company that is dedicated to mining cryptocurrency. So these structures are all really um, beneficial, but only if you're 
at the certain level where you're doing either a high volume, like you've got a lot of uh, capital invested. Um, sometimes it can be worth looking at a company structure. If you're, for example, you know, hundreds of thousands um, to millions of dollars of gains, um, you want to be looking at a company structure because you'll save tax. Um, however, most people um, are just going to fit. Um, you don't really need to worry too much if you're just messing around with some mining or messing around with some staking. Um, there's not going to be too much benefit in exploring different structures. Um, when it does become apparent is, yeah, you're either doing lots of trading, sitting there every day trying to make um, ends meet basically off of trading or, you know, doing it as a business because not necessarily ends meet, but, you know, you're doing it passionately as a business every day, however you like. Um, or, you know, you're spending lots of money on mining equipment um, and essentially at that point, you know, you are investing, you know, somewhat in a business that's going to um, continue to derive income and it's uh, worth looking at a a company structure for that. So I think the main things there are um, professional traders. So if you're doing lots and lots of volume sitting at your trading desk every day, um, it's worth looking at a company structure. If you've got lots of gains, it's worth looking at a company structure. Um, and if you are mining um, almost you know, as a business, it's worth looking at a company structure. But um, otherwise, most people we see are just classified the same um, where you're an investor um, or a small-time trader that, um, you know, you can mess around with staking and things like that. Um, and there's not going to be any benefit to exploring other structures unless you're really, really like invested in this stuff. Mm. So really then it's uh, kind of your personal name or as like a family trust, if you wanted uh, to spread distributions around. Yeah. More so yeah, you, there's obviously plays where people do run um, different uh, gains through trusts and things if they want to distribute. Um, there's always um, at you know uh, certain levels of gains or losses. There's always um, level uh, value in exploring structures where um, you could diversify those across different areas and things. This is um, again where accountants come into play. Um, we've got a great accounting team that knows the crypto side and um, basically can direct people really well um, as to whether a certain structure is going to be beneficial for them. Um, something we can certainly offer to uh, your listeners is the the introductory call that we do with our, our head uh, accountant, Tom Sermon. Um, and from that call, uh, you can basically scope a lot of, um, you know, whether or not it's worth pursuing um, a different structure from your particulars. Yep, very good. Well, thanks for your time today, Mark. It's been uh, very interesting and informative going into a lot of those uh, deeper and more obscure um, you know, crypto investing methods. How can investors learn more about the services you offer at Cryptocate and connect with you? Um, certainly by checking out our website, a lot of information there. Um, that's cryptocate.com.au. Um, and by reaching out directly, um, I'll be happy to discuss. But essentially what we do every day, like I mentioned, is um, bread and butter tax reporting to make it easy um, for yourself or your accountant um, to declare this information and rest easy knowing that you're compliant. So by doing um, some reporting and looking at your data and analysis, Analyzing it, and um, basically, we'll put together a nice report that makes it really easy. Whether it's yourself declaring at home, or whether it's an accountant, whether you want to go through our in-house accounting team, um, we've got the procedures to make it really easy for you. So, 
don't um, worry too much if you've got a complex tax situation don't mess around um, pulling your hair out do reach out to us and um, we can sort of take that heartache away because a lot of people um, have a lot of uh, pain points around this and um, simply a few conversations with us we might be able to uh, hopefully either clean things up for you or give you some confidence knowing that you're going about things the right way. Very good. I'll put those in in the show notes. You've also got a discount as well for for people. Yeah, we'd Um, be happy to offer anyone listening to the uh, Medical Money Podcast uh, 10% off of our tax reporting service. Um, We'll apply that as well to our introductory accounting call where you can investigate your structures um, with our accounting team. So if you fill out our data declaration form, which um, we're going to link, um, then just mention the Medical Money Podcast or if you're reaching out via email, do the same. Mention the Medical Money Podcast and um, we'll apply that 10% discount for you. Perfect. Thank you very much, Mark. Have a great afternoon. Thanks very much. Thanks for having me. Thanks for hanging out with me today. If you learned something new, please share the episode with your family and friends. I'd love to get your feedback, so send questions, comments, and recommendations to me at andrew at medicalmoney.com. See you in the next episode.